I'm Jacqueline, the therapist. Real people, real problems, no small talk. That's what you get here. And uh, today I'm here with Prem Dossie. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy you can be here with me today. So, so Prem Dossie, I know I met you in my clinical psychology program. And um, what drew me to you originally is that I noticed that you spoke about all the different kind of alternative therapeutic modalities that you do. And while for me that Eastern side completely intrigues me and my, my soul is filled by it, I still very much value uh, the groundedness of more traditional or let's say Western-based education. And I think both are important. And um, that's what I saw in you. And so I'd like to start off with just you telling us a little bit more about what kind of therapeutic modalities you currently practice. Sure, and, and just to touch on what you said, something very beautiful, it's, it was actually the drive for me to start studying clinical psychology in the graduate level because I, for years since 2012, have been studying more alternative, um, when I say alternative, it can encompass um, Eastern healing modalities, um, more esoteric modalities uh, that I found extreme benefit from in terms of my own mental health, but I saw that there was this big gap in the world between uh, the Western approach to mental health and the Eastern approach, and and somewhere in between um, a spiritual viewpoint of our own physical and mental well-being and a more scientific clinical approach. So I have, I still have this goal of bridging the two and when I started, it was 2012, I used to work in marketing um, in the development field. Very, very different, very different world. And um, like most healers had my own journey of self-healing that, that drove me to change career paths. But when I started, um, I said 10 years from now, this was in 2012, I will have an entire tool belt of tools um, you know, in my in my back closet, in my storage room, in my front closet, um, so that when someone comes into my space, whatever they're going through, I have something that can be of support to them, um, even if it's just for that one session, that I can bring something out to help them find more peace. And, and really, you know, I believe in the idea of Disease being just that disease, you're not at ease, and then it's really just a matter of imbalance in some way. Yeah. It could be a physical imbalance, it could be mental imbalance. Um, you're not balancing things in your life. Uh, you're not balancing things in terms of you know what your soul is calling to you to do and and what you need to do in the physical world. However, it manifests, and so part of my job is to create a space where together we can take a look at what what are the challenges that you're facing in life um what what is creating that dis-ease and how can we change it how can we transform it so that you can not only find balance but in that balance in that um alignment your spirit who you are the gifts that you have to bring in this world have the space to really shine because if you're struggling with you know, physical physical health issues or depression or anxiety or phobias, whatever it is, um, not only can you not bring your full self to the table and um, really do what it is that you came here to do, but you're you're like five steps behind because you're just trying to, to keep your head above water. However so, that looks like. 
what I, I knew you mentioned you do some hypnotherapy mm-hmm. and what other specific techniques do you work on with sure people? so there's a there's a long I've been following my goals so there's quite a, a few tools in my tool belt but some of the main ones that I use quite regularly are um, I do do hypnosis uh-huh. so I also use it in terms of regression and journey work for people I was trained um, through the National Guild of Hypnotists in 2012 and started working with people in D.C., um, mostly on stress and anxiety management. It was it was not in what I would call more the spiritual territory. It was, it was much more um, just helping people to find deep relaxation, to rewire negative habits that were keeping them stuck with mm-hmm. the push button on on their sympathetic nervous system. And just transforming that. And then later, I went on, I studied at the Omega Institute for Holistic Healing in upstate New York. I was there for six months. And I did uh, Reiki training, Magical Awakening training, which is just another form of energy healing. So a few different energy healing modalities. uh, Some psychic training work, which I can explain more about. And it was there that I trained with um, the, uh, the therapist Brian Weiss and his wife. In their past life regression training and that's been one of my favorite tools that I've used over the years I, I used to just let people know that it was past life um, a past life experience but then as I worked with clients um, I opened it up because I would have clients that would go into spaces in a hypnotic state that were not a story and they, they weren't a memory. They were something else. It was a spiritual experience that they were receiving in order to get guidance and healing for their body and their mind at that time. Yeah. So um, eventually m- my focus with that tool became my job is to create the space for you to feel comfortable enough to go into that deep state of connection with yourself and to be able to hold that. Okay, so with past life regression, Mm -hmm. do you believe that we all lived past lives as other humans or could we have been in other forms of being? You know, I, I don't have a clear answer on that. I have witnessed people have... I believe I've only had one client that had an experience in in a very visceral way of being in an animal state. Um, and I know that certain, certain spiritual teachers say that in terms of reincarnation, that you can reincarnate as animals. Other spiritual teachings say that only human souls only incarnate in human bodies. So the details of that for me, I kind of leave out there as something that I just observe. If it's relevant to your life here and now, say for example you have a terror of squirrels and you had a past life memory come up where you were a squirrel, then we'd work with it so that you could Mm -hmm. figure out what the anxiety was about. Um, But when I do these journeys with people, the more esoteric, larger stories about the journey of the soul and how it works on a larger level, I personally just observe um, and take what is relevant for what's here in the present moment. And I apply that to when I work with clients. So whatever stories that you go into in the past, um, if you go into stories, I really make sure that we bring back the message for how it can help your life now 
you know, how can you, how can that story or that lesson change your life here and now so that you can be happier and healthier? Because for me, this really is all that is and all that matters. So it's only beneficial if it can really improve your life here and now. Even if that's yeah. giving you comfort that there might be something beyond this physical life. That, that can be something useful that improves your life here next. A lot of people have anxiety about what happens after this life. And I, I do have to say that from my own personal experience with, with these journeys and regressions and just witnessing so many people go into this profound state and seeing the same messages coming over and over again, I personally feel a much greater sense of peace in regards to uh, what happens after this this body goes mm-hmm. so that that can be an example of how getting that more larger spiritual information through a session might benefit someone in this life but that's really my focus yeah. in the healing work it almost reminds me a little bit of um Jungian mm-hmm. psychology or mm-hmm. approach which is like using things more as symbols and for you the let's say um uh, into it or the channeler for what's happening. It's just for you. It's not, it, it doesn't matter whether it's real or not, but using that as information. Right. And, and I think that's really valid because if you look at the esoteric world, you'll, you'll hear there's this guy, um, he calls himself the quantum activist. And he talks about how a lot of metaphysical approaches and spiritual approaches such as Buddhism, etc. In essence, the language they used is what polarized people, but a lot of it has, it's its just merely symbolic, and the description, once you get rid of that, it's much easier for people to connect. So when I hear you talk about using things as symbols, like, it, it doesn't quite matter like is this true or is it not that's Mm -hmm. that's a moot point of the conversation i get that question many times um mostly after a session people will ask me they'll have very profound experiences and then after they'll ask me well how do i know that this was real and i tell them it it doesn't really matter as long as you got the information and the healing that is important now because your brain doesn't know the difference. You know, they've yeah. done MRI scans and brain scans yeah. that show that if you're imagining running on a treadmill versus actually running on the treadmill, it's the same brain activity. So, yeah, I've actually heard that you can, if you, to the exercise point, which is an easy example, you can actually increase your muscle mass by 30% by visualizing yourself mm-hmm. lifting the weight. But you actually have to envision the feeling. That's the tricky part, which at that point, it's almost easier to just go do the exercise because it's really hard yeah. to do that. But yeah, and even in recreating memories for people with trauma, there's new studies around that and approaches around um, recreating, like if you didn't get a proper attachment with one of your caretakers, if you going back and using your imagination to recreate that that it heals the trauma which is like unbelievable that mm-hmm. well the power really lies within us right mm-hmm. um so you decided to get into the healing arts because you were in marketing mm-hmm. and that was not fulfilling your soul mm-hmm. i imagine mm-hmm. or was something else happening so the work that i was doing um was very powerful and was making a big difference in the world but i personally had had a series of of depressive episodes from when I was a teen through college through my young adult life and um had had no spiritual practice no mindfulness practice no I didn't that wasn't even a word for me I was 
very against anything spiritual. Um, and then in about 2012, when I had my, I had my worst depression that I've ever had in my life. Mm -hmm. And I had um, very profound spiritual experiences that, that basically took me out of that space and allowed me to see how I had gotten so deep in it, which is that I had, I, I love to dance, I love to paint, I love, I'm, I'm an artist in so many different ways and I, I had suppressed my creative outlook completely. Because I you had, were so depressed. Yeah, but it, but there's, there's levels. I saw that there were, from this experience, I saw that there were levels that if you have certain practices, you know, there's going to be downs in life and there's going to be ups in life. But if you have things that you keep in check, it'll keep you from getting to that place of just total darkness because it, it yeah. but I stopped all those things. And, and you'll have the, the more you practice, you'll have the wherewithal to just know like, oh, this is what I'm doing right now. And these are the tools That's I'll use. Fair. So you were mentioning you went through a really dark, the darkest night of your soul mm -hmm. and you had a spiritual experience. Was it just something that happened to you or there was something in particular that you did or like, how did, how did it come about? Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, it was really through meditation. I started to, to actively meditate and, and you was, had never done that before. I, I, maybe in my high school, I, freshman year of high school, we had a Buddhist teacher who brought it in for for about a couple of weeks but that was my nap time and so what made you decide to do it um it was during i went to a conscious festival and um and you in, were depressed at this time okay extremely depressed and i was just exposed to different levels of consciousness different ways that people were um, experiencing the world and it really encouraged me to explore these communities where people were actively meditating or doing things like authentic relating or different self-exploration workshops. It was very big in this community that I was a part of in DC and I had never been exposed to. I met them mostly through these festivals that I went to and it was very challenging for me at first but I started to see pretty much immediate results. And very shortly after I started doing these practices, I started to have very profound spiritual experiences where I would see see energies and see um, what I call forms or beings. And I had no way of understanding what it was. I actually had a period of, of deep confusion because for quite a long time, what I saw, I guess you could call me a materialist, what I saw was what was. I had no appreciation or um, acceptance for anything beyond the physical world. And then I started to have very visceral experiences because I, I am kind of, I still believe in, in um, you know, the scientific method and the power of observation and everything that I've come to believe in or at least allow into my reality is because of personal experience of witnessing. And so I started to experience seeing things that um, I knew were real, but I couldn't understand it. Were you doing guided meditations or you were just practicing? In the beginning, in the very, very beginning, I said I was still working in the marketing field and had I believed I had no time for this. So I had had an energy healer who in the beginning guided me through this process because I really felt like I was going crazy. You know, no one in my world, I told someone, 
I'm seeing these forms that might not be there, you know, they would really question my sanity. Yeah. And I questioned it in some ways, but at the same time, I knew that what I was experiencing was real, even though I couldn't understand it. And, um, I mean, actually, if you, I, I take it back, my very first opening to this was in Africa. Um, I was studying, I went to school at Boston University, and I was studying in a program in Niger in West Africa, mm-hmm. and was exposed to a spiritism ceremony. They called mm-hmm. it an animus ceremony, where they invoke beings from other realms for healing. There was someone in their village that was sick, and so they had a... Um, ceremony where certain people who were initiated into this practice through various rituals called upon other energies and forms of consciousness to come through for guidance to receive healing for the person in their tribe and I definitely had no idea what was happening at the time but I witnessed something that in every sense of my body told me was real but I could not understand it Mm. with my rational brain Mm -hmm. And so I started to have experiences like that over the years and finally found some guidance later on that helped me to form it because there was really no one in my world that could help me to understand that. Um, But I did eventually find some healers and teachers that gave me some rituals and ways of connecting with these energies that, that, that made it much more conscious for me. And so in the beginning, it was really just three breaths. I had a three-breath rule. I still, to this day, have a three-breath rule that once in the morning and once in the evening, I must sit for at least three breaths. And every breath I took had an intention. But I said, I can do that. I can commit to sitting for at least three breaths. And three breaths became five minutes and 15 minutes and 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. And I would do... um, I had this thing in D.C. where I would do... I had never heard of Vipassana until I, uh-huh. I came out west, but I would do my own mini one when I had the space where I would do a 24-hour sit where I would just create a sacred space and sit in a meditative state for 24 hours. And it was... It was were you still working in marketing when you were doing yes. that? <laughs> so you were going, you were down that path. And where were you as far as like mood stabilization? With meditation, it was amazing. Everything, everything changed. Once I, you started meditating, oh, your once moods I started, everything regulated. changed. My moods regulated. Also, my diet changed. It was amazing. I think after a couple months after meditating, um, I stopped being able to drink alcohol. I, it was literally just. I remember the the last time I drank, I was at a bar with friends, and DC is a very big alcohol yeah. culture, yeah. and we were out, and I had. I was so aware of what was happening to me as I was getting drunk. My, I was just aware of the entire effect on my body and realizing it, it was the complete opposite of what I was attempting to do through meditation. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, I was getting sick. I would have one drink and my body, I would physically yeah. get ill. So I stopped being able to drink. Um, shortly after that, uh, I stopped. I, I, coffee made me sick. Um, certain foods made me sick, and I think they always were making my body sick. I just just the level of, I was completely yeah. desensitized. Yeah, so it really transformed my life. And it's not to say that since then it's all been up. I've definitely had ups and downs, but over the years of accruing these different tools, as we were saying in the beginning, it's kept me from going too far one way or the other. Yeah, you know, I. I, I had to say this before I forget. Um, I was thinking while you were talking about your experience in Africa and how it changed everything for you. And 
the other day I was speaking with a friend and the way I, w I was asking her a question about, well, she was telling me about something that had happened um, in her love life. And I was like, well, how do you know that? What's going on there? You know, and I got kind of like harsh about it and she called me out on it. And I was like, oh, well, how could I have expressed this in a way that is like, I care about her as a friend and, um, you know, probing more in a way that's like less, uh, almost accusatory. Cause sometimes I can have a harsh tone and, and it occurred to me, you know, and she was like, well, how about like, she didn't even use the word examination, but it was like, well, have you thought about asking A, B and C? And I realized that like, oftentimes especially in this like male dominated mm -hmm. culture right in our patriarchy we're taught about um succeed goals achievement and in that it's so easy to forget the experience right and how the experience makes you feel especially as i mean women and men have this um i just think that women are often so taught to just be in that achievement that we that we miss our power that way and it hit me just like a ton of bricks, but like positive bricks. So it lifted me up. Like I was like, oh, I'm forgetting. I have to walk through experiencing, not just get to the other side. And when you said that, it made me think about how one experience that if you're that you're not exposed to, albeit good or, or bad, like harming or helpful or whatever it is, can completely shift your mindset. So something you can be totally against can all of a sudden shift for you in one moment. And uh, when I think about how that applies to like politics and, and uh, perspectives on whatever it is in life, it's like if you can actually experience the experience, right? But some of us are so desensitized, it's hard even to be in the experience. It's almost uncomfortable. Yeah. And then the other thing I was thinking, I think we have to take our three breaths. Mm. Should we do it? Let's do it. Okay. Please. I'll let you lead the way on this one. So the first breath, we're going to take in this beautiful oxygen and send it to all the cells in our body. So as you breathe in, imagine this oxygen flowing to every cell and organ in your body. You can imagine light coming through, just filling you up, healing and loving your body, and exhaling. second breath you can imagine it coming into a space around your forehead right in the middle of your forehead so breathing it in imagine this breath clearing space for vision imagine it bringing light into that area in your forehead right in between your two eyebrows granting you sight And exhaling and as you breathe in this third breath I always send it in gratitude to my highest self that higher consciousness that is within me I'm just feeding that part of myself opening myself to the connection being able to listen and receive the wisdom that comes from being in tune with that part of me And exhaling. We can just take one more nice deep breath in together. And relax and come back opening your eyes. <laughs>
That almost made me forget I was doing the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, wait. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Um, (laughs) You know, that totally made me shift gears. Hmm. And as you know, I do hair. (laughs) And I'm sitting here looking at your gorgeous lion's mane of hair. So thick, lucky girl. Hmm. And uh, I wanted to know what your worst hair experience has ever been mm. your worst hairstyle whatever whatever that means for you so i have had two that i thought about i've had a very long journey with hair and i so <laughs> love my hair now i'm so thankful but which is so funny because your hair is very classic and natural <laughs> one wouldn't think that you had this long journey oh yeah so my first was i was i i was in middle school so probably 10 and i got what some doctors labeled alopecia areata i'm not sure if it was yeah, that or if it was just, just stress induction but i started losing my hair, hair loss yeah pa- i started little, having patches, yeah, patches of of and at 10 years old it's it was traumatizing i think that's traumatizing in any age, any age. This is very true very true um and it took me a while to work through it um but i do think it was stress related because after a year i took some time in the summer and went away and it started growing back um, but I, but it took me a while to feel at peace with my hair and my body because of that. Um, what, what was going on in your life at the time? It could have just been transition. I mean, I was starting a new school and social anxiety and something that the meditation and all the tools that I've learned over the years have really, I had mass levels of anxiety. I didn't realize that I had it until it was a problem, but fear, anxiety. Um, what do you mean you didn't realize you had it until it was a problem? So I think that the majority of my life, my fears dominated me without me being aware of it. Which, can you give a specific example of how that looked? Um, so I would possibly avoid going to social situations um, or when I was in them was um, would just kind of feel awkward. Um, I definitely had eating issues when I was younger, um, eating disorder, food issues. So that manifested as well. Um, but I wasn't aware that they were issues. I guess the way they were kind of running my life on autopilot, like a normal way to live. Exactly. And then something hit around that time of the, the, the larger depression that I was expressing where, um, I saw that that wasn't normal. And I think that meditation and having spaces where I really felt at peace made me start to understand the contrast. What was actually happening before, when you're in yeah. that state 24-7, when you have the button on the stress response 24-7, you don't realize what it feels like to not until you do. Absolutely. I know um, what you mean. And it's making me... I think our culture, you're, you're seeing it now, we're having, a, a, I think, a deep and pervasive uh, hunger for stress-reductive mm-hmm. tactics. But I, I think it's deeper than that. I think it's when people feel in a moment when they're in their stress-reducing tactic, whatever that is, right, whether it's like exercise, meditation, but uh, let's say like healing in some forms is I think that we're so trained as a society to right we don't have to survive like we used to as cavemen right but some of those instincts are still within us and 
because of the way our society is set up now with work, etc., it keeps people on that wheel that then when they stop for a second, maybe they feel a different kind of truth. And I, 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 for me, I suspect it's like authentic voice. And then it's like really what they're craving is more of that, but then they don't know how to, how to get there. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I think so much of our culture goes against that. Mm -hmm. And not to say it's bad. There's many good things. I'm, I'm not saying that, but just the stillness isn't, I mean, that's certainly not celebrated. And even just witnessing, I spent many years working in various retreat centers at Omega and and abroad in uh, South America and um, noticed that people would segment it. They would come and they would have these profound experiences where they could actually relax and truly be themselves and then somehow compartmentalized it as a special magical place Mm -hmm. that they could only reach in these places and and had to kind of put on another suit to go back home yeah Yeah. and what I think is really important about cultivating some kind of mindfulness practice or learning different healing tools that can help you stay balanced is to understand that you have the power to create that space inside of you and thus around you anywhere you go now is it more challenging in a big city versus a retreat center in the woods Probably, yes. (laughs) But I think that my time living in cities has just strengthened my appreciation for all the tools that I have learned over the years. Um, I sometimes sometimes just think and send prayers for for all the people wandering in these urban jungles that just have no no sense (laughs) of how to manage their anxiety. They don't even know that it's happening to them until they end up in the hospital with a heart attack. And their doctor tells them, you know, you need to do something. Well, and oftentimes, uh, we haven't even touched upon this, but we could think it's all our own anxiety. And it might actually be, um, I do believe that that healers tend to be a little more uh, attuned, empathic in some ways. You might be taking on somebody else's energy. I mean, in essence, we're all energy, right? So it's all exchanging. So I could be feeling tons of it. I've had that experience before where I feel tons of anxiety and then I go home and I I realized I was actually feeling the situation's anxiety or that person's anxiety Mm -hmm. and then it made me anxious but I was just taking it on completely yeah and I I remember my first couple of training classes in my energy training back in Omega thinking how come they didn't teach us this in kindergarten this idea of how to ground my energy that wasn't even in my vocabulary. I didn't understand what is what does grounded mean? What does that mean? No one explains that to you. Let alone this idea that that you have feelings that you're emoting and I have the ability to sense that. And if I don't understand what's mine and what's yours, I can I can take that on and, and possibly hold on to it if I don't know what to do with that. So, and I think that there are a high level of extremely sensitive people walking around in this world that have no idea that that's the case for them, and it's too much. And so they numb with alcohol, drugs, television, relationships, shopping, shopping, whatever it is, because it's so painful, and there is no alternative presented to how how to function and deal with that. And I'm going to clarify... Or they could be numbing with the complete opposite of all that, which is avoid mm-hmm. uh, not spending money, not eating, mm-hmm. uh, you know, avoiding relationships or 
constantly finding problems in the relationship, finding unhealthy relationships. I mean, mm -hmm. it looks so many different ways, you know, so it's easy to, I, I'm just thinking about people who might be going, I don't have this issue, but then maybe <laughs> the issue actually just looks different for you, right? right? But it's all part of the same, like, core root. So wait, going back to your, your hair stories, uh -huh. <laughs> I feel like we were missing out on probably a good one. So, so... Right, so my hair grew back, and then um, I, mean, I want it. There's two more because I want to talk about why I love my hair so much today. Okay. But um, there was a period of time where I was really detoxing everything. I was detoxing in my diet. I was, and then I had friends in my community who did not use any kind of chemicals in their hair. They swore by this, and their hair was so beautiful, silky and smooth. And they said that they just used water and sometimes a little bit of oil. So, and they, they all warned me. They said that the first couple of months of doing this, your hair gets really greasy and oily and that it gets better over time. So I had been doing this for a year. No shampoo, just water and a bit of coconut oil. And while it was very affordable, <laughs> my hair did not get better over time. It kind of had this kind of heavy grease look to it. And my mother actually got married in the hairstylist it's a little disturbing, but she said that um, I was the first client where she could do a hairdo and not have to uh, use any hair product. <laughs> so I, I think at some point in time I surrendered and I, I um, ended up buying some shampoo and conditioner that, that did have, it was oh organic, but it had more chemicals and my hair got drastically better. But I think um, in the last year Wait, and a half... I need, I need to discuss okay. this. I feel like this is a point... <laughs> visiting because I'm thinking like well what about I mean if one were to recommend that which you are not and I am not for the record what about if you exercise profusely yeah. or like for me I go in the ocean and the ocean's dirty like I don't mm. I'm, and I can smell it on my hair and I yeah. won't it's not that I didn't rinse um but I didn't but use you any kind of smell product any of that stuff and what about all the, the chemicals smell from... the smell wasn't there that was surprising to me was that I didn't have a smell it was the consistency it was and it could just be that the people who it worked for maybe had less oily hair but I didn't know that everyone has different hairstyles mm -hmm. I think it comes down to really knowing your body yeah. and being open mm -hmm. that's my th I also do health coaching and life coaching and um that is has always been my approach to healing for myself or for others is that every single person is unique you can have ideas of things that m might work for lots of people mm -hmm. but ultimately you have to be your own science experiment and yes that's something that the mindfulness and the conscious practices of self-awareness have taught me how to do is to listen to my body to know what works for me and when something's not working for me I change it yeah and then that's it if it allows me to keep being malleable you know and it can also I know that heat can affect hair I know that a lot of water can affect everything hair. right the air can affect hair exactly and I love what you said about um, this kind of like in part of what you do helping people understand what works for them as an individual because like I come from a long history of that's the answer no that's the answer that's the answer and it's great because like my resource kit is unbelievable but that's what I've really learned is like I have to take little bits and pieces and so I think in a healing sense or let's say like mental and emotional emotional integrative perspective like 
meditation isn't going to work for everybody or a certain kind of meditation isn't going to work for everybody and I think that's why people fall off it's like that's the same way I approach hair like if it's not working for your lifestyle forget it you're just not that hairstyle is not for you it's just not ever going to happen if you're not somebody somebody who spends an hour on a blowout and you have curly hair and you like your hair to be blonde it's just not going to work you know and that's what I feel like people have kind of like we haven't quite discovered how to integrate that for people who like have these busy lives and have other things like how to make it um, something that you can incorporate into your daily life right and I think that's ultimately where working with a coach or a personal healer or therapist works because you get that individual attention you know when you come into my space what we do again is figure out what your life what is your lifestyle like um what are the challenges you face and then what i can do is offer you tools and techniques that have been customized for you that work for you and i've definitely had clients that i suggested meditation and they love the idea of it but they just don't incorporate it into their life and so I really have done my best over the years to throw out the idea of failure um, and just look at this isn't working I've tried it it's not working how can what can I do to change it what could work what's a new way of thinking about a solution for this this issue that's still here um, it lets go of the judgment and it it, it more focuses on um, just taking next right actions uh, to get the result that you're looking for and when you embrace that I think the the biggest key is learning how to listen to yourself and seeing what's worked for you and what might work for you and trying it out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I mean it goes back to in essence reteaching ourselves that we have the answers but we can't do it all on our own we're not supposed to that's Mm -hmm. why we're humans meant to connect with other people right um okay so let's hear about why you like your hair now (laughs) so so happy (laughs) i love my hair now but i have to really attribute the immense amount of self-love i feel to the years of all the other tools and and workshops and um transformative experiences i've had but I recently went through my kundalini yoga teacher training um, Mm -hmm. and and delved deeper into that practice and it really unlocked levels of self-love that I had not experienced before and I started taking cold showers. That was suggested in our training program. I was and literally I, talking about I dreaded it. Yeah. I dreaded it. But it, there was an intuitive pull for me that just knew. And so for about a week, I would turn the shower on freezing and just feel it and then say, tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow. But I finally one day just jumped in and it was horrific. I was singing the cold, entire, right? you, don't, you yeah. just go in. Although I was recently informed, which I wasn't aware of, and I'm changing my practice now, that actually for women on their menstrual cycles, um, you should have warm water. Um, So I'm doing that practice now. But um, I did. I just jumped in, and for the first three minutes, I was singing to to make it through. But then my body adjusted, and afterwards my my skin looked amazing I felt like I was shining 
And what I noticed is after about a week, my hair got thicker. My hair became thicker and more voluptuous. How long have you been doing this? So, what the, I think like four, four or five months. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to clarify this. You also happen to have thick hair. This is true. But not not to, not to take away from the experience. I just don't want somebody walking away thinking their hair is going to grow four completely. times. Completely. But, yeah. but I do have to say that before I started doing that, and it could just be my hair changes where I am because I know that, for example, I lived up north in mm-hmm. the Bay for a while. When I showered there, my hair was very different than when I moved to L.A. I don't have a water filter on my shower. I was yeah. very aware of the fact that my hair started to look flatter. And so I was aware of the fact that there were chemicals in the water here that might not have been the best. I don't know the science behind why the cold water seems but to you've, spruce you it up. But you felt like, well, I mean, it does, it stimulates the the scalp. And actually, you know, with all the cryotherapy, mm-hmm. you, know, you, you you sit in, like, I, I don't know how cold it is, but it, it's like basically walking into a freezer and you're supposed to do it for four minutes. And I always joke with my friends, you know, I just, I surf, so, you know, free cryo. <laughs> and the other day I was actually out in Malibu and I was at the showers and we were talking, it was so cold and I was like talking to the surfer next to me and I was like, this is the part I hate because you have to, like, I open my wetsuit and just pour the cold water down mm-hmm. so it just cleanses. And we were just like, free cryo, free cryo, we can do it. <laughs> but actually, it's the same. Even you're supposed to finish your hair off with a cold rinse at the end, and it locks everything in the cuticle. And the reason for cryotherapy, it's it's a, um anti-inflammatory for your body. So I, oh, I, wow. I totally believe in that, actually. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so. that's why you love your hair, because of the cold shower. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and the other elements of just self-acceptance and love but I have I have to say I've noticed a difference how could you not like your hair before though your hair is so good I I I love it I love it in all the ways that that it's been but in the last couple years it's since the issues with taking away the the chemicals and then reintroducing them my hair took a while to what was happening just to go from being very greasy to being dry and it, it shifted oh, okay. consistency okay. and um it, it's a dance <laughs> but it a dance. I love my hair now I love my body I love who I am and that's that in general is is the biggest gift that um has been given to me through this journey I did not for a very long time truly love who I am on all levels and to just be able to embrace every single part of me is it's to that was that was a prayer I had for a very long time was that I I wanted to be able to sit in my body at peace and and love the skin that I was in and I I finally been able to get there through years of work and is that would you say that's your ultimate message for your your clients completely and that's something that's that's always been a main message that I carry in the coaching work I do or the healing is is uh, really a message of of self-love I I I say practice radical self-love so you know even even in my tears even in um, the darker times I still hold on to that I still love myself and that and it 
and it seems to be able to dissolve things that might have seemed harsher and so that that's the 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 message that I bring to to anyone to people I work with is you know it's just seeing how you can love yourself more yeah and really be truthful in that I mm-hmm. think that some people think that they're doing things that are loving towards themselves but it's not always the case that that's could be that's fueled true. from something else yeah you know and I, I know it's still somewhat early on in your our graduate journeys mm-hmm. um how do you think it's shifting your perspective on your healing practice uh for others and for yourself so I feel one of the biggest things that it's done so far is make me more conscious of the influences on us in this life, in this body from childhood. Um, the, the tools that I had been working with prior to this were much more focused on something beyond our story, beyond our story as, as Pramdasi, as as Jacqueline, as whoever you are, it was focused on the larger energetic picture. And um, what I'm appreciating is the power of healing that comes from examining who you are in this life and what factors led up to that and, and bringing healing to traumatizing situations in this life, how it can really change things for you. Yeah. Um, and the power of, of just making the unconscious conscious in a new way. It's another modality that is, I feel, strengthening the other tools that I've learned over the years. And my ultimate goal is to just continue to integrate them. Yeah, it sounds almost like what you're saying, the way I took it, is making it um, a less abstract, like when you're, you're working with someone, uh, perhaps easier to clarify specifics whereas before you know maybe it would be like not my story or something else where it's easier to kind of just ground and it like you know in in essence help people understand more specifically their experience mm-hmm. which I think I mean for me is super helpful but I'm question pants over here so <laughs> I enjoy that Prem Dasi, you always ground me so much when I speak to you. Um, the your level, your strength of spirit, combined with that groundedness, it's just like it's a big, deep inhale and exhale for me. So I love that <laughs> you brought in the breath practice today. And do you have a website where we can get in touch with you? I do. People can go to my website. It is dossiehealing.com. That's D A S I. H-E-A-L-I-N-G dot com. Thank you so much for inviting me, for your open heart, for this platform of transformation that you're bringing into the world. It's incredible to know a fellow healer on the way. So thank you so much. And thank you for our great hair. (laughs) 